Welcome to The Real Zodiac, a film retrospective podcast dedicated to reminding or introducing you to some of the most iconic films of all time, stirring up memories of ones you forgot or wish you could forget, and every film in between. Your hosts will be your tour guides and sometimes companions along this journey down the rabbit hole. Be warned, though, there will be blood, guts, more than a few bullet casings, love, despair, tears of joy, and cries of agony. Some from the hosts themselves, because some of these movies will make them wonder why did they choose these movies. Good luck, oh, and of course, enjoy the ride. Looks like we're shy one horse. Hey, welcome to Real Zodiac, where we are now reviewing, in the Burgos dance, uh, westerns, martial arts, and war movies, which kind of gives me a complex. But, you know, I'm a Virgo, so hard to decide between all those movies. But this week we have gone with uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Only because I'm on a Tarantino kick, but uh, with me as always is my sidekick, Mr. Quentin. Hey. So, Quentin, yeah. Westerns, are they your thing? Have you watched a few? Um, No, I haven't really dived into westerns as much um this i feel like this was a really good one to do because um just in terms of like cliches that have come from maybe maybe this film but definitely in that era um i mean i even saw hints of it in once upon a time in hollywood when we talked about tarantino's film and so yeah this was kind of my branch out into westerns um i mean i've seen the newer like quote unquote Western movies that have come out. But yeah, it was, this was definitely kind of a full exposure for me. Awesome. Very cool. Well, welcome to the club. Yeah. And, uh, we have a guest with us today from PCL, Mr. Brian. I like how it's just called PCL now. You don't get fucking <laughs> tired. I know. We're going to have guests or we're going to have audience members who are like, I don't know what the fuck that is. We'll make you talk about it at the end, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll explain it then. <laughs> Keep it a mystery, I guess. Ooh. <laughs> oh, gotta love a good mystery. Anyway, so I'm Mr. Ryan. Westerns. Yeah. New to you? Have you seen this before? Uh, my dad watches... I Between my dad and my late grandfather, they've probably watched every Western in history my like my great grandfather used to read western novels like i would walk into the room and i I'd, I'd be at first i'd be is he dead no oh, he's reading 
So, you know, they get old. You worry about them. You walk in a room, you don't know if they're going to die or not. But, like, there he is reading a Western novel. So I grew up watching a lot of Westerns with my dad when he would, because we had two TVs, and sometimes it was just that's what's on. So, but, uh, you know, stuff like, um, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is also kind of deals with, like, what we were talking about today. But, um, you know, yeah, but I grew up watching a lot of uh, John Wayne and then, and then, and then I started to get my own love for Western movies, like with uh, Young Guns, Young Guns 2, um, and then that carried over even to like more present day stuff, like 310 to Yuma. So I, uh, yeah, oh, The Magnificent Seven. I love the original and I love, the original I have Charles Bronson. I love the original and I love the new one. I think they're both great. Well, there we go. We have a, a newbie and an expert. And I guess I kind of fall in between the two. I'm not an expert. I just watch. I've I've seen a few westerns. <laughs> All right. So uh, I don't know how you guys want to break this down, but uh, start from the beginning. No, let's start from the middle and then go to <laughs> a quarter. Stop it. Then skip to the, to the end. <laughs> skip straight to the end. Yeah. Uh, no, I guess I'll go with like a little a little tiny overview. Just because I kind of like that thing. But, uh, so this is, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. And there is a piece of land that's by, Bla- by, by Flagstone with water and, uh, a rail baron, Mr. Morton, aims to have at it. And knowing that the new railroad will have to stop there, he sends his man, Frank, who's played by Henry Fonda, to scare off the landowner. And Frank actually decides to kill him and his kids and pins it on the outlaw named Cheyenne, played by Jason Robards. Meanwhile, mysterious harmonica man, Charles Bronson, and the dead man's new wife, Jill, and what, Claudia's uh, Cardinal, arrive in town and try to fix things. So, uh, I'll let you, uh, I'll, I'll let, and go with this like what did you what were your expectations and what did you kind of think of the movie well i only knew one person in this whole cast and that was charles bronson and um is it and this might be a stupid question so please bear with me but is this the same bronson that was made a movie about with tom hardy tom hardy made a movie called bronson yeah that's what i meant oh okay yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just I was trying to I was trying to make sure and making sure that those were actually connect, connected. So, yeah, Charles Bronson was the only person I knew of this whole cast. So going in, like I, I don't know, I have this thing when I watch movies that, um, like if I obviously love a lot of movies that with people that I know because it's easy to identify them. But for like this, the first time watching this, I definitely was like getting lost almost because I'm like, okay, who's this guy? what's this guy do? And, you know, like I just, it took me a little bit to kind of get used to not actually knowing anybody in this movie except one guy. So, um, I don't know. I kind of like that too, because it made me try to pay attention more to details with the characters. And, uh, Henry Fonda's eyes like was a very, Mm -hmm. it was a big get, uh, giveaway for his character of Frank. I really loved, um, like that was his defining feature. No, my little fun fact about Henry Fonda playing this part was that uh, 
Of course, I'm blanking on the name of the director. Uh, Sergio Leone. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Sergio Leone. He um, wanted to cast Henry Fonda in this villainous part because Henry Fonda, for the most part, has always played a good guy. So when Fonda went to show up for the auditions or whatever, (coughs) he actually came in with a change of eye color, darker hair, um, facial hair, and tried to make himself look like unrecognizable. And Sergio said, no, 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 no. I don't want you to not look like yourself. I want you to look like yourself. I want people to recognize you by your eyes. Which I think is, yeah. For me, that's one of those things watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Rick Dalton's character. It was the complete opposite. So that was kind of, I don't know, one of those fun little Tarantino, Sergio Leon sort of fun facts, which I would like to say would be unintentional, but I think maybe was intentional. Definitely. But yeah, Mr. Brian, what about you? Like, what, what did I, you? Yeah. Think about the movie overall. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, let's talk about this length. I mean, let's let's <laughs> let's talk about the length of this bad boy. Two <laughs> hours, forty-five minutes. A lot of story to tell here, apparently. So I was a little shocked at that. I was expecting, eh, maybe two hours. I was Holy. expecting an hour and a half. Yeah, me too. Sorry, guys. Be, be quite honest with you. I was thinking like an hour and a half. Instead, I got fucking Endgame. So, um, <laughs> but uh, but you know what? I'm glad that I watched this because there, I you can see how much inspiration uh, Quentin Tarantino has uh, has pulled from like uh, some of these old spaghetti westerns. Um, you know, of course, I've seen. I love the Good, Bad, and the Ugly. But um, this is one, like, I I remember seeing it, like, on the TV, but I'd never watched it all the way through. It's just too fucking long. <laughs> so, as a kid, I never watched it. But I'm glad that I did. I, I'm i a huge fan of Charles Bronson. I, I think Charles Bronson's a badass. I fucking love him in this movie, too, by the way. Um, some of the, and I'm sure we're going to unpack it more, but, like, there there are things that happen in this movie that I have never seen done before. And I feel like it's an inspiration for a lot of other um, things that we've probably seen in other movies. And I'm well, just to, I guess to jump ahead a little bit, the, the childhood harmonica scene, my God, that was incredible. So yeah, I, yeah, we can talk about it a little bit more, but I did enjoy the movie. Good. Well, I guess let's just go with that. Let's go with the childhood harmonica scene. Oh my fucking god! Are we really going there right now? Yeah. Oh man. Go you, for it, Brian. Why did you love it so much? Well, first off, let me throw this out there. Have you looked at Charles Bronson's name under the uh, under the credits? What his name is? Harmonica. Straight up fucking harmonica, Quinn. Right. They, they're, they're no beating around the bush. Right. It's har- harmonica. Yeah, man. It was. Um, it was it was a cool twist. I, I didn't see that. I didn't see like this was some sort of like a vengeance thing for him. Did you guys pick that up? Like this was this was an act of ven- of childhood vengeance. Like he's basically when you think about this, he's basically like what Joe McBain never really got a chance to become what Charles Bronson did. Like this guy 
and his actions like molded his entire life. I mean, mm-hmm. to the, where he's wearing a necklace of this harmonica as a constant reminder, like. It, and he it, only knows like four notes. Yeah. The entire yeah. time. <laughs> I think so did the score. <laughs> oh, I loved it, man. It just added to it. Yes. I thought it was great. I've heard other people kind of say other things about just the harmonica part, but I just felt that the overall score was great. Overall score, yes, but yeah. just the harmonica part, like I heard people complain like, "Oh my gosh, it got so old." And I'm like, "Eh, but it's like that." No, it, I mean, it's not re- really. It was just enough to make it it, it was it was making a point, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was a reoccurring theme that, I mean, is used in a lot of films. But, I mean, like, think about... I'm just going to throw Star Wars out there. Think about Princess Leia's theme, you know, like, that would play in the whole trilogy. Um, and even in the sequels that we've seen, I mean, her... Uh, it's been played out. But, like, it's not the same four notes, so I can understand why people would get aggravated with it. Um, like, I'm just I'm just kidding around. Like, I thought the score for that... For, for a lot of the uh, music... In this movie, had such an amazing score. I mean, we'll talk about it with Jill's character. Some, of, some of the score behind her was just amazing, and I, I don't know. I just, I loved it. And they used it towards the end of the film too, whenever she was, like you said, given water. Um, but uh, to answer your question, Brian, well, whenever he kept uh, getting asked by uh, Frank's character, like, "Who are you?" and he kept, you know recalling men that died and so i kind of felt like there was some vengeance or uh there was like a vengeful side to his story but i didn't think it was going to link right back to him i thought he was just like on a mission to kill this guy who's killed so many of his friends or something like that kind of like you know if you watch the magnificent seven it's like a group of men that help a village like this town fight back you know a town that can't fight back and they fight they fight for them and i was just thinking like yeah this is he's just that uh you know he's just that badass it's just gonna do the right thing he's seen enough and i i was fucking floored when we get that flashback scene of him as a child and then he's forced into a position where his brother is going to hang the only way his brother is surviving is because his brother is standing on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. This is fucking torture. And like that, from that moment, I honestly think like the second watch of this, all two hours and 45 minutes, I mind you, um, if the second watch though would be a lot better, even having this knowledge now, like you know what his motivations are, you know more about the character, you know why this is important to him. Uh, going after this guy. And so I, it's just like his whole life was basically based on this one moment. And, um, I thought it was a really fucking powerful scene. And especially the way it was filmed. Um, the way the men came across as uncaring and, and, uh, just didn't give a fuck at all. And the, the way that when he fell down, how hard that kid fucking hit. Mm-hmm. That just bam, you see, sand and shit dirt flying all over the place I, I that was one of the coolest it is one of the coolest moments i've seen in a western one of the most shocking and, and cool moments i've seen in a western in a long time 
Oh, yeah. One of the better reveals I've seen in a movie in a while. Yeah. I really like the way that they use the flashbacks uh, sparingly, especially towards the beginning whenever you see that uh, Harmonica and Frank meet up for the first time in the movie that we see. And then you get that flashback of a stranger kind of going across the desert. But you know what I'm talking about? But he's like out of focus. Yeah, and exactly. Like, the first it's time like, that that's used was was really great. I know. And then like the payoff at the end was really cool. It was shot so well. It was all it was like, OK, and then boom. And then it's like, OK, now I know who it is. Right. Wow. Right, and to our, even just watching that shoot-off, that standoff, like, it took, what, like, three or four minutes at least from the beginning of their, their final standoff, and just the way it was shot, you know, you get the teaser that you think Frank is the one that survived, mm-hmm. and then you see, you know, Henry Fonda fall. Mm. Ugh. I don't know. It was so good. A good standoff. A great build-up. I mean, just... I mean, just kind of like the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Where it's like a long buildup and then like a great reveal. Even like Tombstone um, with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, is it Michael Bean? Oh, my gosh. Remember, I'm your Huckleberry. I watched that like, (laughs) no, Val, damn it. Val Kilmer was, oh, right. I love that fucking movie. Tombstone's incredible. I've seen that a ton of times, and I can't think of anything right now. Michael Bean, the guy, he was, uh, yeah, I always forget his name. Yeah, Michael Bean, he was uh, in Terminator. He was uh, Kyle Reese. Mm-hmm. He was in Alien. All of those movies. All those movies. And we're, I'm, now, I'm now talking about Tombstone, which is not this movie. Which is fine. But no, you. all good. All good build-ups. Oh, my God. Have you seen Tombstone, Quentin? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay, good. Okay, good, good. They have problems. That's there. a good starter <laughs> Western, I think, for anybody. Yeah, yeah definitely. Great cast. <laughs> yeah, it's like, if you're going to start out on a Western, this one's a good one to, uh, you just want to go all in, but Tombstone's probably a better, a better beginner. I think that, like, it's weird, though. I think, like, this is a must-see for Quentin Tarantino oh. fans, and I, oh, I'm, absolutely. I'm really like happy that you suggested this one because I really felt like you could see a lot of um, of this, like Sergio Leone style, influencing Quentin Tarantino. The like him paying homage to oh a lot of this in his movies, like just down to even the score. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously the score with the Hateful Eight, but mm, uh, definitely with. Ennio Marcon, but um, even the music in this, uh, Jill's theme, I think it is, is very similar to the music that's in, uh, not in Glorious Bastards, um, the other one with Leonardo. Oh, uh, Django? Thank you, Django. That music is very similar to her theme in this movie. Oh, yeah, you're definitely right. With, uh, is it Carrie Washington? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I could definitely see that. Damn, yeah, I but make just, me want to watch that too. I am. I'm, 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 just, I'm like, I need to watch The Hateful Eight now. Yeah. No, I definitely <laughs> was thinking that too. Like, there are so many similar beats from just The Hateful Eight and this film. Um, I would say also, like, there are some 
in Kill Bill, when the bride is going up against certain adversaries, mm-hmm. kind of like this Western, kind of like standoff, kind of like, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to say it, but like that I heard in this movie, it was just like, oh my gosh, he's he's even throwing stuff like this into Kill Bill. It just kind of yep. blew away. Yeah, I after fully sitting down and watching this, I'm just like, I'm blown away. Like, I don't know why I didn't watch this sooner, because <laughs> I claim to be a Tarantino fan, but shame on me, but eh, better late than never, so. But no, just little bits of everything you can pick out of this movie that you can see in the Tarantino flicks. Was yeah. it just me, or was everybody just wanting to fuck Jill this entire movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, she was pretty much the only chick, so. Oh my, I... She was kind of hot, so. You know. I know. It was like Smurfette in Smurfette. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, it was just like, I don't know. The whole town was just like horny dicks. It was crazy. People oh, know her when she's in the bathtub. It was just, it was crazy. And then she's not helping matters at the end. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? At the end, <laughs> she's wearing that black blouse and it's like, I don't know. The it's like all the way down, showing off her cleavage. She knows what she's doing. She does. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I heard somewhere that I don't know if this is just something that I dreamed or actually heard somewhere that her voice was dubbed over. Oh, that was yeah. just like a typical Italian thing. Did you guys see that? I okay. did. I saw that like in a couple scenes, and I'm sitting there like, "What the hell? What's going on?" Because I don't, I think there was another character. Yeah. Um, the one, the dude with the goatee. Wa- oh, I was, was it Wobbles? Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. <laughs> <laughs> no, Wobbles looked like his voice was dubbed too. Maybe, I mean, this is still technically considered a, <laughs> even though it's actually filmed in Spain and not in Italy, but it was still kind of considered a spaghetti western, but. And that was just a thing, the spaghetti western. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I do want to mention Jill just since we're on the topic, um, and like the way that she gets introduced to this film is very interesting because she, like, when we got introduced to Brett's character, uh, Brett McBain, and his daughter and two sons, like, I don't know, like, I was so shocked because I thought that we'd be following Brett's character. <laughs> and yeah and like when he gets shot i'm like okay well he's can't die like i feel like he's pretty oh okay no he's dead and then like the the children die and then so i'm like okay so i guess we're following jill's character and like she she is very beautiful and to see like her whole history like we get a really good backstory of her that is kind of uncovered throughout the film like it's not all just out front and center as soon as she gets on onto the screen like it's played out and it's i mean like we even get traces of her history um whenever she's with frank on the bed mm-hmm. and i know oh, that i uncomfortable. yeah i i know yeah that was definitely uncomfortable um but like i appreciate that they didn't just kind of make her a piece i don't know um but like she had weight to her character which i really enjoyed yeah she definitely had a good a good backstory. She wasn't just some random woman that was supposed to be there. To ogle over. To, yeah. 
she was actually, I mean, you could see that she was strong, strong-minded, strong-willed. And she didn't, well, eh, depending on the situation. She used her situations, but she tried not to take shit from anybody. And any other thoughts, Brian, about Miss oh. Jill? Uh, <laughs> any other thoughts about Jill? Let's see here. Um, hmm. Yeah, the whole um, leaving the, the the basically like the 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 will was leaving everything to her, and I found it interesting that. Uh, hey, can I? Yeah, let me ask a question here, because. Uh, mm-hmm. They, it, it basically, they had to build the station before the railroad met met the, them. Met them, yeah, to where they were that location. Um, was that always? Was that? Was that? So now I'm trying to understand, like, where the uh, where the auction came into play. Yeah, that was kind of a question I had in my notes too was why she was trying to sell it off if she had all of the supplies to build it and have it built and had the people. Well, she didn't know that she didn't know that those guys were building it though, right? Like they said something about uh let's uh let's build it for her so when she gets here it'll be something, you know. I was I was confused about all that. Like uh, one minute they're talking about you know, fucking going all Bob the Builder and building the station. Next minute, like they're bidding, he's you know bidding five thousand dollars on on the property. I, I just, Quentin, did you catch any? Did you get that? Yeah, um, because I mean, like it wasn't her who decided that she wanted to bid it all. It was um, it was Frank's way. Of, it was Frank wanting. Yeah, right? he he's yeah. the one who wanted to get the property uh, cheaper than. It really is because um, he had a bunch of men that he, you know, he had there to make sure people weren't bidding more, so right. that they could get the land. And that's why she looks so sad because they were gonna they were gonna give it away for five hundred dollars. I, I get that, like I get that, like nobody's gonna bid on it anymore because because he's got you know his muscle there. Right. My thing is like, where does that conversation of building the station come into play? Because there's this whole conversation about building the station before right before that right before the railroad makes it to that location because if she can get if they can get that station built then they're set yeah she's set it sounded to me like she was set like the land's hers they build the station it's set like they're just talking about the station not the whole fucking town like the church and all that stuff so i was i was really confused because like one minute we have like this gung ho moment between the bros. We're like, we're gonna build this thing, you know, and um, then it's like we're at an auction. I'm like, what's what's going on here? Like, did it was miss- it was the bedroom talk between her and Frank? Was that's it? all I can. That's all I can put it into. Oh, okay, yeah. So whatever that I think whatever that conversation happened because it seemed like she was gung ho for the building because. That one guy's like, well, here's the sign and something's supposed to be written on it. And she's like, goes back to the, you know, thinks back to the models in the house of the little buildings and everything. And there's the one that has the train station sign. And that's when she says, it's supposed to say station. Yeah. So she seems like she's 
all in for it, but, and I don't have any notes about the, other than her and Frank together. I was like, uh, weird hookup with Frank. Oh God, that was so. And I didn't write anything about what they actually said or anything, so. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of weird reactions going on in that scene, too. Yeah, and the whole time, I mean, she, he's just calling, like, uh, Frank's just calling her a whore. Yes. Yeah, and like, he's, oh god, he's the grossest kisser I've ever seen. <laughs> like, oh my god, there's like, you know what I mean? Like, he was doing this weird thing where his, like, lips were just kind of like hovering over her mouth, but like, they weren't like moving, they were just kind of like bumped into hers, you know? Like grazing. But then, yeah, but then like, they look like they've been outside and it's really hot and humid, and so you're like, oh god, I bet it's pungent and stinky in there. And then, Oh god, it was just so weird. It looked like he had like a little bit of spit on his face too. Like um you know, like spittle. They, yeah, a little bit of spittle. They made a little contact and it's just kinda hanging out oh. around face. It <laughs> like was a just, bridge. Yeah, it was the most non sexy thing I've ever seen with a sexy woman involved. Right. And then the whole time <laughs> you're like, you want her to get sexy with somebody else, but Yeah. Anyone. That fucking bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> the bathtub scene. Oh, the 60s. But, uh. What? Oh my god. <laughs> why? Yeah, I mean, seriously. Why are, why do we not have, like, rooms like that with a bathtub in the middle of the fucking room? That is awesome. That I'm is just, definitely awesome. Yeah, I wish I, I need to have a room like that where I just walk in and then boom, there's a fucking tub there. I can walk, I can run around it, dive into it, and stuff. I bet those are lofts, like in New York, you could get for, you know, $1,700. <laughs> or that's just yeah. a, a bed in a it's bath. Just one room. <laughs> like your bedroom's on one wall that you can, like, yeah. fold up. Way the you bathtub's in the bedroom. Sound, the way you make it sound is, like, poverty. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm trying to... <laughs> I'm trying. The bath I'm is a toilet to... as well. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know about you, Brian, but I have a room in my house with a bathtub. <laughs> yeah, but it's like not in the center of the not room. Not the center, no. That's what I'm saying. That's what I I'm know, saying. I know. You could walk around that fucker, you know what I mean? Make it. You could walk around it, contemplate, am I going to get in, or you know what I mean? And oh, it's so cool. <laughs> and there are those huge bathtubs, too, like like a huge bin. Not like what we have now, but those are big things. Yeah. Huge. Like you get water up to your neck and it's all good. <laughs> uh. But anyway, I guess uh, to go back to the beginning, what did you guys think of that introduction scene with the, with the three cowboys in the intro of uh, our Mr. Harmonica at the train station? Well, I thought that they were going to be important to the story as well. Um, you know, like I said, I'm following these characters really close to the chest because I haven't seen a lot of these actors. So I'm like trying to take notes, you know, okay, we got fly guy. Um, we got water brimmed guy, you know, like I'm, I'm taking all these notes and like, it was just kind of a demonstration of how cool and suave harmonica was like just showing how quick he is to the draw, which is awesome, like it's cool, but yeah, I was just sitting there like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the scene though. Like it was uh it kind of puts you right into the action. 
But man, 14 that, minutes into the action. That windmill, <laughs> that windmill was pissing me off by like the <laughs> sixth minute. Did you know it was the windmill when you first started hearing the noise? Well, I saw it, you know, just moving around in the background. I was like, there's no way that thing is making that much noise. And then like the, uh, the cowboy that was, that was drinking from his hat, like kept going near it. And so I was like, oh, okay, that is the windmill. Please make that stop. Mm-mm. That's the magic of that scene. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> what about you, Brian? Yeah, I, I too, Quentin. I was kind of like you. I didn't know how important the other characters were going to be to this story. Yeah, it's like it's like this was like uh, Game of Thrones. Like everybody you first meet die. <laughs> yeah, and so, and so I was, you know. It, I, uh, I didn't, you know, a lot of these supporting actors in Western show up in a lot of other films and I've seen, you know, uh, one or two of these guys before. And so like, I was like, ah, oh, these guys might be important or whatever, you know, but that, that's definitely not the case here. And I think, um, I, I think it was kind of cool to, to have all these deaths at the beginning because like, it, it kind of, Keeps you on your toes throughout the entire movie. That pretty much anything can happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely shows the gravity think, of the movie already. Yeah, it's it's unexpected. It's not your super typical western, I guess, where you just start out with the guy in the white hat, the guy in the black hat, and the story ensues. But I just love this kind of I don't know, I guess could you call it a cold intro, like where there's no music, no anything. It's just like not even. A ton of dialogue. Yeah, it's just. And you do get, yeah, you just get these three cowboys and their reactions to what's around them. Like, yeah, the guy with the water dripping on his head, thing that lets it fill in on his hat, and then eventually drinks it. I'm sure that's not good for you, but the guy with the fly, where you just want to like scream at the TV and be like, just swat it away, get it off your face. Because <laughs> I know I want to meet that actor, that that fly. Right. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but if you're trying to sleep in in the morning and you happen to have a fly in your bedroom, it bothers you. I'm telling you. And you try to do everything to get it away. I have a theory that the beginning of this movie started in Westworld because <laughs> kill the fly. Yes! There's so much Westworld in this, too. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And the land, isn't the land called Sweetwater? Yep, the land is called Sweetwater. Exactly, so... I think there was a podcast about that. <laughs> Someone did. Yeah. Sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I love this intro. And then as soon as uh, our harmonic man shows up, then that's when the music comes into play. And I was like, awesome. This, this is everything I was expecting or hoping for. Just a good direction. Yeah. Oh God, I gotta watch. I gotta watch. Uh, I gotta watch this movie again. It's really long, so it'll be a while. But I gotta. <laughs> I gotta watch it again, just for like the harmonica scenes. Oh my God, it's just. It's it's really crazy piecing this all together now that I've seen it and I like you know the big twist ending. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think a second watch would just really pay this off. Which I was okay with starting with the twist ending. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um. The next, for me, my, I don't know, maybe my uh, favorite scene, just cinematically, is the one where uh, 
you know, Jill shows up at the train station and hitches a ride and they stop off at a, like a bar slash, I guess, whatever, saloon slash, um, stable barn, stable, something. But just all the cutaways through that entire scene, which was a good like 20 minutes. Yeah. Yes. They just everything where it cut from like each person's face, just the long shots, the close shots, everything. All about that scene was, I mean, to me watching it, I was like, Oh, this is so much Tarantino too. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just got giddy and excited about watching it. Was it crazy? Did you feel like some of these actors even reminded you of like actors that he would choose in his films? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the owner I, uh, of the of the of the bar or whatever. Like yeah, the way he was talking. Even oh, yeah. Cheyenne reminded me of like. There's times where he would remind me of Christoph Waltz. Oh, a hundred and ten percent. Right. Yeah. Oh, God, if he could recast this, if Tarantino could redo this movie, you know he would cast Christoph Waltz in that part. I would hope so. No question about it. Absolutely. Who would he cast as Jill? Because she ain't no Uma Thurman. No. I'd I'd still put Margot Robbie. Possibly. Uh, Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. He could cast me. I'd be fine with it. (laughs) (laughs) You get to make out with Frank. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great. Are we we talking about our favorite scenes right now? Sure. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) No, I feel like I'm taking over now. No! No, this is just free. It's fun. What's your favorite scene, Brian? I... (laughs) Okay. I really liked uh that train that they were on. Was that like mm. the not like gorgeous on the inside? Like that was just insanely like decorative and like all the it just looked gorgeous inside that thing. Right? All the carpets and drapery and just the woodwork and everything. It was like luxurious, yeah. It yes. was like the like, like, it felt like it was like the Titanic on a steam engine. It was crazy, but um, I, I really like <laughs> Cheyenne. His whole uh, action scene on the train with the, uh, you know, hanging himself upside down, mm-hmm. <laughs> fighting on it, shooting through the window and everything. Oh God, yeah, shooting through the window. And then one of the most imaginative things I've seen, like especially for this time, like this is like pre Desperado, okay. He shoots through a boot. Yeah, right? that was, I was what? not expecting that at all. That was fucking dope. That was cool. And this is like pre-Desperado when you had Antonio Banderas like shooting out of a gun, you know, like a uh, uh, guitar case. You ever seen Desperado, Quentin? No, I haven't. Really? I'm sorry. Why are you asking him and not me? You you had to have seen Desperado. <laughs> of course I have. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> why I didn't ask you. <laughs> I just felt left out. Kidding. I would Kidding. have rather have been left out. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing uh, me, Quentin. I'm sorry. This is why I'm on here with you, Quentin, because I'm making you watch all these movies. Now. Yeah, I'm no, I and like we talked about that. I appreciate all this knowledge because it really like I would have never have watched this without you saying to watch it, Amanda. So 
But that scene on the train, I just I thought everything about that was just like really well shot. Some of it was funny, and then I loved just Charles Bronson's reactions. I know, yeah. That. Oh, it was so cool. It was so. Well, just cool. like his like non-reaction reactions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no change of facial anything. Like just an eye shift or something. Oh, oh. and his call. Okay, so so when Cheyenne gets on the train. And he's there, he says, earlier, Cheyenne in that one bar said, can all you do is, uh, uh, you can't, oh, what did he say? You, something like, is all you do is play, you can't shoot. And then mm-hmm. on the train, when Cheyenne comes in, he's like, is all you do is shoot, not cut, or something like that? Because yeah. To cut his binds. I was just like, that's a cool callback. Right. Mm-hmm. There's so many great one-liners in this movie. Uh, and like, yeah, I mean, with, uh, Cheyenne and even the, the coffee line to Jill. Yeah. In the beginning where he's like asking her for coffee and then they meet up at the end or I guess towards the end. <laughs> he's like, you know, like, did you make the coffee? And she's like, yeah, I have it and it's hot, strong and good. uh so good so clever great writing i don't know i love this movie yeah i I think it's it's uh safe to say like the film will reward you if you're paying attention to all the dialogue um even though it is a long film like it it wants you to give its full attention throughout the whole thing because i mean like think about how easy it was to be able to watch something like this you know back when it was made to now i mean Think about all those long shots that we have uh, to watch, you know, here in uh, this, like in 2019, we can just look at our phone, you know, and mm-hmm. like, as soon as you look at your phone, you're going to, you're going to miss a line or you're going to miss something, something very subtle. And like, I don't know. I mean, it's very easy to do, but with the film like this, you have to pay attention. And I don't know. I, I applaud the movie for that because I like a movie that, that demands your attention throughout the whole thing. I have to definitely agree, and especially with this director, um, his, oh, what do you call the trilogy that he had before this? The Bills trilogy? Like, those were, I mean, they're all good westerns. They're all good to watch. They're entertaining. But I feel like this one's on a different level, and he's kind of a director, too, that you have, I mean, it's almost like Tarantino, where just watch from the beginning and you can see his talent progress as a filmmaker. And so when you get to this film, there's just so much more involved, tiny, tiny things that are just brilliant throughout the entire thing where it comes to the dialogue or just visuals or, you know, like, like the different one liners coming back to themselves. It's just, yeah, a brilliant filmmaker. Yeah. And it's prime, so. Hands down. Hands down a great filmmaker. This was, uh, I mean, in a great cast, too. Henry Fonda. And I, I love Charles Bronson. It was, uh, and he was, he was at his coolest in this. He was just, he was super fucking cool. Didn't have the mustache either. Fucking clean shaven Bronson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So weird. It was. I love it. It was. <laughs> nice. There were, like, at the beginning of the movie, he looked really, 
young to me. Mm-hmm. And then as the movie went on, I was like, oh, no, he's I can still tell he's older. But he looks so young in this, in my opinion, with this being made in, what was it, 68, 69? 68, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But no, yeah, speaking of just how people looked, they really caked on the uh, Arizona tan for these folks. Mm-hmm. All of them were looked like they'd been out in the sun for a long, long time. Yeah, uh-huh. very crispy. Mm-hmm. Which I thought paid off for uh, Henry Fondersville, because I couldn't imagine people at that time watching this movie and having the reveal of, you know, he and his four cohorts coming in and shooting a father and his children or two children. Not the third one yet, but you get like the pan around scan of, like his face. And then you see him and you see his like crisp blue eyes. Yeah. And then he shoots the youngest child. I'm like, holy cow. Cause like Henry Fonda, I think maybe played like a villain maybe once before this, but he's usually always kind of like the good guy. But just people reacting to that, which also plays back to once upon a time in Hollywood, you know, a little bit of that, I think. I love oh, that's just me. His fucking outfit at the end of this movie with uh, just all dressed all in black, the black hat, everything. I was like, We're- that's that's a fucking that's a Western villain. Mm hmm. Yeah. And he takes his jacket off. Yeah. Oh, man. He's going to he prove something. Ugh. He looks super cool. He looked like a, he did look like a classic Western villain. I did dig that. I do want to actually go back to the end there, uh, to their final fight. I really appreciate that they didn't have any dialogue between the two. Like, you're seeing everything in Harmonica's mind. Like, he doesn't say, do you remember me now? You know, like, it, we didn't have any of that. You know, like, even to the point where he had, um, he had, wow, is it Frank on the ground after getting shot? And then, like, he still asks, who are you? And it just, nothing. He just grabs the harmonica, puts it to his mouth. And I loved the music there with the harmonica where it felt mm-hmm. like, like it was, I don't know, like it was somebody put it in their mouth and just started eating it because of the way it sounded. Like, it just sounded yeah. so... So crass. Oh, it was so great. Like, that is such a great scene. That was probably my favorite scene was the, the ending scene there. Kind of tying into what you were saying, Brian, with the way that, like, they were, um, using that flashback. Yeah. Oh, man. It was such a reward at the end. That flashback was, I just thought, like, as far as, like, torturous scenes go, like, a brother having to do that for his brother to keep him alive and, and them waiting around for the kid to fall. And just, I mean, it was just, I, I just thought it was really cool. Like, that's what we're going to zoom in on. That's the flashback. What? Like, I, I just thought it was so cool. Like you, I think a lot of movies do stuff like this now, but like this, we're talking about, this is like, 50 fucking years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It felt so, like, original. Yeah, it really did. It, it really did. It really did. It, like, it, 
like we're seeing something like I'm seeing something new but everything's already been done you know and like this movie did this 50 years ago I just thought it was really brilliant and we see a lot of filmmakers try to do shocking things like this by and it still worked 50 years later this still works mm-hmm. and they didn't even need to like have or they didn't have to show you the actual hanging because I, I love whenever he did fall and like you don't see the actual snap of the neck or anything but you hear mm-hmm. the crunch of the apple right like that was your that was your sound like that's all you needed and like that is just very powerful because like take a movie that would come out like this i mean in a remake I mean, especially if Quentin Tarantino made it, like, you would, you would see the whole thing, like, the whole hanging. And, like, that would be the shocking, or the shock value that they're trying to get across. But here, like, it would have been amazing to have seen this movie in the time that it was released and to, like, see uh, the, the reaction. I think a lesser filmmaker would show you everything. I still think T- Tarantino would pay homage. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think I'm, so I'm, too. Yeah, I, I just meant like <laughs> in regards to if. But no, you no you. I, I just I just wanted to say that. But oh, okay, yeah. Everything else that you said, I'm in 100% total agreement because in today's day and age, they want to show you the things that they didn't. And I'm even talking about like more recent things. I'll talk about like a new like uh, the a new nightmare on Elm Street where you get um, scenes that they didn't show in the original that they're now showing you, you know, like this is how the kill went and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, it was, um, not the most recent predator movie, but I believe it was the one with Topher Grace. Oh yeah. uh, Adrian Brody. Yeah. That, that movie in the original predator film, there's a scene that involves, one of the guys and he's standing on a log and he's going to face the predator with a, with a knife, you know, mano y mano and you never see the fight. Well, they re kind of like construct that entire fight in that new movie and you see the whole fucking thing. And it's all about show me, show me, show me. And sometimes if you pull back on that stuff, it's way cooler. Like you said, dude. Yeah. Like using your own imagination in that kind of sense. Right. Mm hmm. Just leave it to the viewer. Yeah, because like in Predator, all you did was hear dude scream off in the distance. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's and it was one of those things. Like that movie came out when I was like nine or ten years old, and me and my friends would talk about like, you know, what do you think happened? You think he even got a? You think he cut the Predator? You think he got anything <laughs> in on him? I'm like, so I mean, it's very cool to to uh, to leave things up to the imagination, like you said. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So back to uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the country. It says country Italy. No, it's Spain. It's Spain and the U.S. It's Arizona and Spain. Where are you seeing that? For this movie? Yeah. Something that I Googled for the notes oh. a few days ago. Who are probably, it was the distribution company was an Italian company. Yes, the Yes. So none of it, I don't think, was actually filmed in Italy. It was filmed in Spain and, I think, Arizona. So a lot of the uh, the long shots where you see the great visual shots of the background, the landscape, all of that is in the U.S. Oh, shit. Yeah, here we go. Interior Interiors for the film are shot 
interiors for the film were shot in Rome. Oh. The opening sequence with the three gunmen meeting the train was one of the sequences filmed in Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, shooting for scenes at Cattle Corner Station, as the location was called in the story, it was scheduled for four days and, the, and was filmed at the Ghost Train Station in the municipality of La Calahora near Guadix in the province of Granada, Spain, as were the scenes of Flagstone. So, yeah, they... Uh, so this is not a spaghetti western, it's a... It is, because they did film in Rome. <laughs> the Empanada western. The interior shots were in Rome. <laughs> Just some interior shots. Did they? Oh, wait, hold on. The brick arch where Bronson's character flashbacks to his youth and the original lynching incident was built near a small airport 15 miles north of Monument Valley in Utah and two miles from U.S. Route 163, which looks like Goulding's Lodge in Mexican hat. So I guess that was Brian's schooling us. Schooling me. I had to do all of my research. I just say, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I kid. I, I kid. Am. No, I'm just looking on Wikipedia. See, I didn't even go to Wikipedia. <laughs> looking up other random stuff. Ah. Should have gone the easy route. Dang it. <laughs> but still, Spain, Italy, and the U.S. But there's still great shots. Still great visual shots. Very beautiful At movie. Least- well, what's yeah. cool about it is like you, unless we had to look it up, like we didn't, you know, it looks like it's all in the same locale. I mean, it doesn't look like all these different places do not, it doesn't take you out of the movie. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't look like Arizona. You know, it's like it, they pull it off. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. It is very true. <laughs> But it goes back to my recording last night where we were talking about Iron Fist Season 1, where they're supposed to go to China, and it doesn't look like China. But this movie does not do that. There's a director's cut. In Italy, a 175-minute director's cut features a yellow tint filter and several scenes augmented with additional material. This director's cut was available on home video until the early 2000s, still airs on TV, but more recent home video releases have used the international cut. A yellow tint filter and several scenes augmented with additional material? I wonder what that's all about. Yeah, I can't imagine that, honestly, because like, I feel like we've seen everything the film has to offer, but I guess not. What is it? Why the yellow tint filter? Like, I don't get that. Like... Yeah, I don't know either. Is that something that they did back then? I I don't think so. I mean, I, I mean, like I know that when they that 3D was a thing back then. Like my uh Hondo, John Wayne's Hondo, like that was a they had it in 3D. You could go to the movie theater and watch it in 3D like with the old school 3D glasses. You know what I'm talking about, Amanda, with the blue mm-hmm. and the bad and the <laughs> the real 3D. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then um they would even air Hondo in 3D. They oh they did it years ago. Oh god. They did it years ago on like TBS or TNT or something and my dad recorded it. <laughs> and I recorded over it and he was so mad at me. So grounded. Pre- I know. For years, I've been trying to find 
condo in 3D somewhere so I can buy it for him and say I'm sorry, like, <laughs> 30 years later. <laughs> so, yeah. That's cool, though. I don't know anything about yellow tint filter, though, man. I don't either, because if it was something legitimate, I think we would have seen Tarantino do it, considering he loves this genre and era. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't he hasn't done anything like that. I mean, he's only done what, like, just filmed in different, like, 70 and 35. Yeah. Yeah. But, but nothing with, like, a weird tint or filter on it. Yeah, it just made, Quentin, you raise a good question. Like, is this something that they did back then? Like, and why? You know? It's interesting. I'm gonna have to look that, I'll look that up on Wikipedia. <laughs> I was like, I'm on Wikipedia. Go to it, Brian. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I was gonna ask, what did you guys think of the character Mr. Morton, the railroad baron? The neck brace dude? Yeah. He had, yeah, he, did he have TB? Was he, right, he was, he was the one that was like in charge of trying to take over that land. Yeah. Initially. Yes. And the whole Nick Brace thing, I don't, I'm not sure why that was added. It was, to me, I kind of questioned it, but then just blew it off. I was like, meh. Cause he wasn't, um, I wasn't as focused on him as I was the other characters. Yeah, same. Right. I well, was, I was just curious because he's the one that like double crosses um, Frank and kind of pits, uh, not pits. Sorry, he kind of like has um, like guys try to kill Frank at at uh, what is that? Was that town called? Is it um, Sweetwater? Yeah. The- Flagstone or Sweetwater? No, Flagstone. It was at Flagstone. Sorry. Where, like, he had the Hitman. Hitman. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I don't know. I just thought it was weird that, like, he double-crossed him, or he double-crossed uh, Frank, but, like, the death of um, Morton was just kind of interesting because he saw him crawling mm-hmm. and did, didn't even want to waste a bullet on him. Oh, yeah, that was a good scene. Were, I don't know, like part of me still thought he was maybe sort of alive and he was crawling to the water to, I don't know, to get to the water. But yeah, you're right. Frank just kind of just stood there and watched him and was like, eh, this guy's dead. I'm, yeah, I'm not going to waste a bullet. Yeah. And I'm, which I don't know. Uh, Frank's probably one of my, probably one of the best villains I've seen in a long time too. Because he's just, I mean, the way he was with Jill, the way he was in that scene, and just overall, he's a pretty big douchebag. Agreed, yeah. Like, it, and he's fun to watch. Like, you're not, mm-hmm. you're not sitting there like, ooh, this guy sucks. You know, like, I mean, I don't know. He had, he had quite a presence. It was very electric. Like, I want to see more Henry Fonda movies because of just seeing oh, him yay. in this film. Yay, and you should. But I don't think you're going to see him like this in any of the others. Right, yeah, as you said, which was honestly kind of cool. I would, like I said, man, I keep, I keep going back to this, but I just, I wish I could have like seen the reactions to people that like saw this movie and saw him in that role and was just like, damn, he's a really good villain. 
Oh, yeah. Could you imagine being in the theater when this came out, when you saw the reveal of Henry Fonda as the bad guy? Yeah. Where you're like, oh, he's the bad guy. And then after that, like they have the reveal. But then after that, he shoots the kid, the youngest kid. So not, you know, not the older two, but the young one that is obviously completely helpless. Yeah. Like, oh, the reaction would have been insane. The only thing I could kind of compare it to is like, what if you went uh, into a movie blind and like, I'm going to sneeze. Sorry. What if you went to a movie blind and not knowing anything about it, you just knew that it starred this one person. So you get in there, you sit down and then all of a sudden you're watching Tom Hanks slit somebody's throat. Like, Oh my, that, oh my gosh. Right? Tom Hanks, right? Like, has there been a movie he's been in that's, he's been the, nothing but like a god? The, exactly. The only movie I, I even remember him being a villain in, and I could be wrong here as far as like there could be more, but it's like, wasn't it the Lady Killers? Oh shit. It's been so long since I've seen that. Oh, so I like that movie. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's been ages. I uh, I think Lady Killers is the only movie I have ever seen him in. Yeah, the Lady Killers. It's the only movie I've ever seen him in where he's like a villain, villainous character. Mm. That's crazy. I don't know. Castaway, is he kind of a villain there at all? <laughs> no, he's just... Guy that's still in love with Helen Hunt, and she's married now. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's been, he been on an island for a long time. Awkward moments with the volleyball. Yeah. He, he fucked that thing, right? He did, right? <laughs> he had to have. Uh, he was kind of a villain in Toy Story. I can't talk about that. I got grounded on the Monster Podcast, because I have not watched those movies. Oh, all right. Then never mind. <laughs> wow, I'm learning so much about you. I know. Mm. Uh-huh. What about Road to Perdition? He was kind of a, wasn't he a gangster in that? He wasn't a bad guy, though. The bad guy in that movie was, I want to say Michael Shannon, but I think I'm wrong. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen that one, too. Was it- that's the only... That's the only one I can kind of think of that was like sort of a, just because it was a gangster movie, I guess. I don't know. I think you put Tom Hanks as the Henry Ford character. I think that's a very good comparison. Yeah, yeah. Where people would be shocked. Yeah. And like, uncomfortable with it. And I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was cool. But- I would want Josh Gad as Wobbles. God, who would I recast as Harmonica? Who would that be right now? Oh, dang. I don't know. You know, I'd love to see Jonathan Groff. I think that's his name. And it's mostly just because I've been on a Mindhunter kick. Um, I'd love to see him in one of these movies, like a Western film. Like, I would even, I would even put him in, uh, as one of these. Cause like, he can play a badass. Like, I feel like he could do that. And it might just because I just finished Mindhunter, but I don't know. Like, I, I would love to see him more in movies. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people think like that, too. It's it's freshest on our minds, like, right after we watch something that we really like. Like, oh, is wow. That the, is that the main guy? Yeah. In Mindhunter? Yeah. Yeah. 
but Robert Downey Jr. I think could be totally cast in a Western remake of this movie. Oh my 100%. god! What the fuck has Robert Downey Jr. not been in a Western? Like he'd be so good. Like he has that look in that face. Right. It'd be so good. I, uh, just, I want him with that mustache. Like I, I would love to see him rock a Western look. So do I. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Instead, we're getting him in like a, the third Sherlock Holmes movie coming out. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. West. See, the thing is, westerns don't do well overseas. It's they so just, sad. they just don't. So, it, and that's what everything is now. It's a, it's a global market. So you know, you got to mm-hmm. make something that's gonna like, uh, you know, everybody Sell in the everywhere. world. Yeah, that's that's, that's why that. you don't get sports movies anymore. Sports right. movies, because, you know, I'm sorry, we are, we are not going <laughs> to movie anymore. Yeah, come on, Amanda, real It's in. fine. You know how real this in. Talking about how long this movie is, and here we, here we are. <laughs> I know. It's like, this movie is so long, but most of it was just, no dialogue, a lot of stares. Right. Are we going to rate this one and wrap it up? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So, Brian, how do you rate this movie? I know you're familiar with our rating system, so. Yeah, can I use can I use decimals? You can use whatever you want. I don't care. All right. I will I'm going to give this one a 2.6. 2.5. I almost sounded like a 2.7. I know. I need to say it. <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat. <laughs> then he just knocks it down. To- yeah, I know. You're the roller coaster, wasn't it, buddy? You're such a tease. Quentin Stop. Had- Quentin had his fucking hands up like he's on a. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I had the rail down like I was ready to go. <laughs> Uh, man, I took you guys on a little tour there, didn't I? Some <laughs> possible numbers. Need some water after that. So two point five? Is that what we're going with? I went with two point <laughs> seven. I went two point five. Six. Six. <laughs> two point five would work, man. That's good. Final answer: two point five. Okay. <laughs> and Quentin, how about you? Um, I'm going to have to sit at a two. Um, I'm really glad that you made me watch this, Amanda. And I, I shouldn't even say <laughs> Like, yeah, man, I'm so glad you made me, you forced me to watch this. Um, no, but, like, I really am glad that I got a chance to see this. And I think the ending <laughs> paid off for the amount of time. Because, I mean, I, I texted you. I said, is this a two-hour and 45-minute movie? Yeah, I was like... That's the right one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I apologize. I think um, I apologize to both of you. Yeah, Quentin's like, is this the uh, director's cut with the yellow tint and the augmented? <laughs> What's up with this shit? It's like a piss vision. <laughs> That's the way to watch it because it's, it's like, the best. <laughs> it's like R. Kelly vision. <laughs> no, do not say R. Kelly. No. No. It's like he's pissing I in your face as you watch TV. I wanna pee pee. Um anyway, but yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna settle in with the two. Um because like I said, the the ending did pay off, but this movie was just way too long. And I mean just with 
the way that movies are made, like I'm desensitized and I apologize. Like I, I want a little more, I want a little more umph when watching a film like this. Like it, it just to, to hold your attention as long as it did. And I, like I said, I applauded it for it. Like I thought it was a very well done movie, very beautiful, but there are times where I'm like checking the time and if I get a message, I'll, yeah. I'll grace it and I'll pause the movie, text back and then bring it back. But. If I didn't have to do it for the podcast, I probably would have been on my phone a few more times. <laughs> that happened with me. Um, no, I. Even though I did not watch this in like one setting for this viewing, I love this movie and I love all of the Tarantino aspects and all of that. So I'm really, really. I kind of want to give it a three, but I'm not quite there. You can go with the 2.7. So, I, I heard that it's trying to be popular. I'll go with the 2.7 then. I'm going to go with the 2.7. <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> Stop it. Stop. It was. Because uh, he knew what I was going to say. He, you guys knew. You, you, you heard a 2.75 coming out, and then I retracted. And I knocked it down to two point five. It was, you know what Did I mean. You say two point seven five. I no, it's two point five. Final answer two point five. <laughs> but I almost went with a two point seven five. Two point seven five. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's what I'll go with. Two point seven five. I'll throw another uh, decimal in there. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, everyone, for you know listening to us go crazy. Does any, what? Does anybody call it the Dewey Decimal System anymore? For libraries? Yeah. Does anybody use that? I don't know if people go to the libraries anymore. I do, but I don't know if other people do. Do they still do that? No. Yes, they do. Yes, I have- they do. They still have library cards and library, uh, the Dewey Decimal System <laughs> it still is a thing. I, okay, I, I just, I, I have gone to the library in the past few years, but it, like, I, it's just like to, like, rent a video or some shit, you know? Or they got comics there sometimes. They have comics, they have movies, lots of books. Lots and lots of books. It's crazy. <laughs> Libraries do have that. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. <laughs> I was about to just end this because this is gonna be <laughs> this is gonna be a bitch to edit. Oh well, shit. Do you want to ask Brian to talk about his podcast? <laughs> no, I want to talk. I want to talk about your editing process. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Quinn! I can like I can already hear like pain in your voice. <laughs> it's just gonna it's gonna be a bitch to edit. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was too real. I'm going to draw it back. <laughs> Brian, where can we find you <laughs> in the podcast universe? Uh, let's see. If you want to check me out, you can find me on my podcast, Pop Culture Leftovers, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts can be found. Um, you can also check me out on Number One Comic Books, where... Me and a few friends talk about the first issues of comic book series and let you know if it's something that you should be reading or not. Uh, and that's all I'll plug. But thanks, guys, for having me back on. And uh, Quentin, I 
apologize that you're gonna have to do all this editing now. No, forget it. I'm just kidding, man. It's always it's always great to talk to you, man. And we do want to say <laughs> Brian has agreed on. He's he's definitely wanted to come back for some future episodes. So we'll make sure to keep you all in the loop for that. Absolutely, yeah. I'll be back on. Amanda, cool. you're awesome. Talk about your show. Come on now. You know you know the drill. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on the Leftover Monsters podcast through the Leftover Army page and here. And that is our episode on The Real Zodiac for Once Upon a Time in the West. Please join us next week when we will be diving into another film. But for now, we want to say thank you. And if you want to email us, we are at therealzodiac at gmail.com. And that's real as in R-E-E-L. We would love the feedback. And also find us on iTunes and leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you guys think of the show. But for now, we are going to catch you on the other side of the reel. See you.